Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Dr. Laura Sollier, the author of Right Brain Rescue and the host of The Catalyst, Sparking Creative Transformation in Healthcare Podcast, joins Susan and I. We talk about how to prevent burnout, why you need to recover, and how leaders can get off that proverbial treadmill of always doing more. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders that turn their teams into happy high performers who crush their goals. And if you're interested in that, our calendar for 2024 is already starting to fill up. And there's only a few spaces left, so reach out to me, Rob, at Elite High Performance for more information on how you can become an elite leader. Lastly, everyone, hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening and sharing the show. And here's the interview with Dr. Laura Sawyer. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, the yang to my yin, Susan Hobson's here. Susan, how are you? I'm excellent. I'm fabulous. I'm firing on all cylinders. So let's go. Let's get the party started for our people today. We got a really exciting interview. I can't wait to dig in. We do. And obviously, we have to start off with a quote. Oh, yes, so I have one here from Anna Quinlan, and she says, the thing that is really hard and really amazing is giving up on being perfect and beginning to work on becoming yourself. I love that quote. Tell us why you picked that one today, though. <laughs> I think this is part of what really drives a lot of folks to burnout right, mm-hmm. is this element of perfectionism. And if we talk about an IFS language, it's these protectors that force us to keep running on that hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. And that really drives us into these elements where we're not able to take care of ourselves and actually become the leader we want to be. And so with that, we have our special guest with us today, Dr. Laura Sawyer. She's the chief catalyst who's on a mission to redesign healthcare with more creativity and less burnout. She's also the author of Right Brain Rescue and the host of the Catalyst podcast. Laura, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Rob. I'm so excited to be here with you and Susan and so aligned with a lot of what you're saying. Absolutely. We're all recovering perfectionists in healthcare. <laughs> Ooh, Laura, you got to tell us a little bit about that backstory. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right? Well, if you think about it, right, healthcare is yeah. uh, is drawing a lot of us that are service oriented. We mm-hmm. sign up to be, 
you know, serving our community, our patients, and we have a lot of heartfelt emotion behind that. We take pride in our identity. It's not a job. It's a career. It's a calling. It's a passion. Mm -hmm. And that just is the perfect soup for perfectionistic, high-achieving behavior because, you know, it's just like your road is laid out and you just go through the milestones and you achieve the top and you think it's going to get better. You think it's like, okay, I, I know it all now. I'm, I'm, ready to go. But see that that IFS part of perfectionistic is still there. You know, you've got so many parts of you that are competing with, you know, what do we do? And then you start having families or you start having children, Mm -hmm. you start, you know, you start to get pulled away. And what we don't realize is nobody's helping healthcare practitioners in coaching themselves about that perfectionistic tendency and about that, I call it codependent behavior patterns um, (laughs) that we tend to think that we're we're worth more if we can be of more service. And it's just a never-ending Sisyphus rock that we're pushing up. You're never going to prove your worth more. And so what, what do we do is we bleed out in healthcare. We're we're over-serving, we're trying to, you know, show how good we are. And it's just a battle that we lose. So 63% of us are burned out. Woo! 63%. Yep. That's the yeah. the high I think that's the highest it's ever been, right? I remember reading a study on this in um the HBR. It's like burnout's the most rampant it's ever been in human history. So let's start there. Let's start by defining burnout so that we can all get into alignment in terms of what we're actually talking about here. Let's that's talk cool. about what has it to be the most rampant it's ever been in human history. What is up with that? Well, there's many theories, lots of studies. Dr. Shanafel, Dr. Maslock have been studying burnout in healthcare specifically for over two decades. Um, so even though only 63% of us are burned out, 96% of us agree it's a problem. So we know colleagues or we know if we're not burned out, we see it. It's, it's affecting mm-hmm. our day to day operations. And there's many root causes of burnout. It's a systemic failure, but people perceive burnout differently. So it's very personal, which is why there's a difficult time finding a solution. So not only is it systemic pressure, but each person has different lenses through which they see life. So burnout can appear differently or feel differently. There are three characteristics that define all burnout, which is a sense of depersonalization, where you don't feel like you see yourself in this, you don't, you feel lost in the mission, you feel like it, you're kind of cynical, right? The next mm-hmm. one is feeling low perceived achievement, that you're not making a difference anymore. You're really not in it. And you don't see any progress. And the last is feeling emotionally exhausted. You're running on fumes, you're feeling jaded, and you're kind of just on autopilot. Um, and so those three things drive the definition of burnout. And in the brain, if we put all of our minds in a functional MRI, burnout appears just like another human condition, which is grief. And so grief is normalized. We have words about grief. We have vocabulary. We have support groups. We embrace this as a normal human condition that will have over many times in our life. You might grieve the loss of a friend or loved one, but you can also grieve the ending of a marriage or grieve that your children are growing up. I mean, there's many levels of grief and yet we've never normalized burnout. And so my theory is burnout is always going to exist in some flavor. We need to start normalizing that and providing similar tools for burnout to help people pedal back and recognize in themselves when they're getting to that edge. Um, So that's my little lowdown on burnout. I love that. And maybe just a thought that came into me is, would you say burnout might be grief over loss of identity? 
I think it's many. Actually, I view it as grief, simply put, of expectations don't meet reality in front of you. So it's even simpler than that. It's that you, and and I've experienced this, I, I know many colleagues have, you think if you complete these things, it will look a certain way on the other end. But what they don't teach us in medical school and what they don't teach us in <laughs> or residency, any school for this or any matter school, is that you can't yeah. predict the future. You can't you can't be assured that medicine and healthcare is going to look a certain way on the other side. And so especially if you're in an outpatient setting or you're employed, you don't have control over who you work with or your hours or your schedule. Whereas years ago, this is why physicians, in my opinion, weren't burned out as much. They had autonomy. They could control the patients that made it into their panel. They could control, it wasn't insurances, just assigning them randomly. Mm. They could control who they wanted to work with. They could control the number of minutes allowed per patient. They could control the decor in their exam rooms. I mean, that makes a huge difference. And so right now, physicians are basically robotic workers. We aren't allowed any self-expression or creativity. And that's where I come in that, you know, I'm on a charge to really teach a million healthcare practitioners how to tap into that creative flow so they can become more joyous and and revitalize and kind of push back against that narrative that we're just these little cogs in a wheel, that we also have agency. I love this. But I mean, before we get to the mission, how did you like, tell us a little bit about you and how you arrived at going on this mission? Oh, yeah. Um, Simply put, it starts when I grew up around my grandfather's funeral home. No, just kidding. I prefer (laughs) to work with the living. I did. I mean, I did grow up around, you know, my mortician grandfather. So my Barbies didn't have dream houses. They had mini funerals. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love Right. But I knew that I was fascinated by, you know, anatomy and and the body. And I decided medical school was something that I really wanted. Again, recovering perfectionist, that seemed like a super cool goal and it's something that not many people could do. And I think a lot of us listening would probably say the same in any leadership position. You want the hard stuff, right? Mm. You want to show that you're gritty. Um, side note, physicians are the most resilient in uh, when they measure resiliency, physicians are the highest in resiliency score and still the most burned out. So it doesn't matter how resilient you are, right? <laughs> so after, wow. you know, going to medical school, you know, I am young enough that I remember paper charts, but also kind of was there when they ushered in electronic medical records and I taught myself how to type fast. I mean, I'm pretty adaptable. So I was shocked that honestly, 15 years into my rural family medicine career, where I was theoretically doing exactly what I wanted to do. I was taking care of babies and grandmas. I was sewing up lacerations. I was doing women's health. I was setting fractures. I was like a rural country doc. And that's what I wanted. But again, expectations and reality were not matching. I thought it was supposed to get easier by then. And it just kept getting harder. It kept getting harder. It wasn't no matter what I did, there was something new that they mandated for us to do, a new metric they were going to measure, and then mandatory meetings, and then paperwork up to my eyeballs, even though we're doing electronic medical records. You know, all these little things just eventually just broke me down. And I had no idea it was burnout. I just thought, okay, maybe I need more exercise. So I'm starting to run, which I'm not an athlete. I wasn't then. And then I started to dabble back into some art and creativity and just other things to take my mind off of it. And what I noticed is this beautiful neurochemical flow state. So after a run, I was like, wow, I 
things feel clearer. And I was able to have more introspection at, you know, this is not getting better. I'm seeing the writing on the walls. I need to do something different. I ended up going to one last continuing medical education conference thinking this was my last ever as a physician. (laughs) I thought, I'm not going to do this in a year. I'm going to quit. It was kind of like my, let's burn up some CME money from my administrators and let's, let's check out this functional medicine stuff. I have no idea what it is. I ended up falling back in love with medicine. It, I realized it wasn't medicine that I was burned out from. It was the way that medicine was being delivered. And when I learned about this, I thought, you know what? I, I really want to open up my own practice. So I took a leap. I resigned and I opened up my own clinic and I've been doing functional medicine for my local community ever since. And I wanted to learn more about flow. So that's the part that after identifying I was burned out, that it was flow that kind of got me forward thinking and out of that hole. I Once I got this going, I wanted to go back and really learn the elements of flow acquisition so I could then help other colleagues and say, you don't have to quit your job. You know, Let's dive into what resources you have inside you and explore some of these creative elements because creativity is healing. It's medicinal. It is progressively powerful in helping us be the optimum person we want to be. And something that high achievers really struggle with the most, in my humble opinion, working with them for the last 15 years, trying to get them to go play with their kids and get into a childlike state, right? Like it's something yep. that they they fear. They fear slowing down like that, right? Right, because right. Because of the sympathetic and it, overdrive. Right, because it's not, um, play is so open. It's so uh, abstract. And that's mm-hmm. what I love doing in my coaching and in my catalyst services is coaching practitioners and showing them we do creative activities and therapeutic art. And we have them write letters to their inner child to speak to their you know, 10 year old and, you know, all these wonderful ways to kind of go in the back door of your brain and, and rekindle (laughs) the relationship with those parts because play is so important. And as, as a person who's a leader or a high achiever or very, you know, um, energetic and yeah, Mm -hmm. mission driven, sympathetic driven, um, it's hard to downshift, but that's Mm -hmm. where the beauty is. It's the music in the silence. It's the art in the blank canvas. It's the, it's the beautiful times when you can look and just be still. I love this. Okay. You say my life's mission is to help high achievers find their brain body balance so that they can show up as their most vibrant, authentic self with renewed energy to invest in creating life on their terms. Okay. Can you just break this down for us? What are we talking about when we talk about brain body balance? That's a great question. So that's more functional medicine. So we look at uh, the human body as a whole, that, you know, one system is going to affect the other parts. And so in functional medicine, it's really a deep dive into cellular, you know, all the geeky stuff of biochemistry, but the brain and the body communicate constantly. In fact, the brain and the gut have a bi-directional way that your nerves are constantly monitoring each other. We've seen, you know, intestinal issues, we call it leaky gut intestinal permeability, where your GI might not be feeling so hot. Um, and you're, you're not optimum in your health. And that sends a message to your brain. So believe it or not, things can start in the gut and you can become more anxious or depressed because your gut makes a lot of your neurochemicals mm-hmm. and vice versa. If you perceive stress, so no two amygdalas are alike, you know, amygdala, amygdalas are that fear center of the brain that looks for threats because our brain just wants to keep us alive, but it's also a predictive machine. And so 
all of us walking around with our brains on a stick, you know, we're looking. And if your amygdala senses a threat, even subliminally, and you don't even realize it, it can communicate down to your gut. And then suddenly you're having intestinal issues, which can then extrapolate into other joint pain, brain fog, depression, fibromyalgia. So there's a lot of connection in the body. So my clinical expertise is really looking at that stress response in my patients. I I tend to work with a lot of high achievers, CEOs, um, those kind of, you know, patients in my clinic that really want to understand stress response and, and sort of reimagine their own comfort level and get to know themselves on a different level so we can help them, you know, shift that to a more parasympathetic calm response. I was just going my brain and my gut just uh, just ask for pizza constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And a lot of people don't realize like that's another thing you just said about pizza. I mean, how many uh, employee appreciation weeks or here's here's some pizza. So now you're not burned out. Right. Here you go. There's a pizza. Let's have a pizza party. And that's even a double whammy. Not only is that just so disempowering, like, okay, pizza's going to fix my burnout. Let's rub some lavender on it, right? Like, okay, now I'm fine. But also, you know, dairy and gluten are the top inflammatory foods in our body. And so Mm -hmm. what do we give medical students and residents when they're on call and they're up late? We say, go to the cafeteria, grab some muffins and some sticky buns. And no wonder they're sick. And in one study, they showed that the first year of training in medical school ages them the equivalent of six years. And so we're killing our physicians. We're killing our, we're killing our medical staff. We're giving them toxic food that has lots of inflammatory products in there. We aren't encouraging the vegetables, the fruits. And in one study, they showed that even teens that were told to only eat vegetables and fruits for two weeks had an increase of well-being and happiness that was perceived 38%. So they're able to like show food matters and it, it sends different messages to your gut and your brain. So it's the whole system that we need to turn on its head. I love that. Totally. And like when you talk about that element. I mean, on this show, we've talked about some of the statistics around working in a toxic workplace. Uh And it is proven to increase increase risk of heart attack, stroke, other major disease, mental health problems, the whole bit, right? And it's like, how do you start coaching your folks to identify when that stress or that toxicity is too high or too low? Or how do you How do you coach them to start making those connections? That's a great question. I I believe you can't fix what you don't measure, right? So we have to start taking a pulse and we call them vital signs, right? That's what doctors do when you get in the exam room, you take your vitals. So I encourage all of the catalysts in my services that we do these quarterly kind of a strategic planning session where we really go back and look at your burnout metrics. So I have a sheet of let's measure your burnout. Let's look at your, your um, proclamation. We all do a, fill out a personal proclamation that helps us anchor into our values, helps us project, you know, the kind of person we want to be, not what we want to do. It's not achievements focused. It's more internal values focused. And we look at some of those highlights of the milestones that we've been able to achieve. And, you know, there's a lot of gratitude in there and a lot of, you know, forward thinking using this retro engineering of a burnout equation. So when you're unsure, you know, am I just stressed or am I burned out? Am I in the middle? Am I, am I inching more or less towards it? 
my first recommendation is start measuring um, because there are different categories of burnout and what can fuel that burnout. So looking at a burnout metric like the Maslow burnout index, you can do that once a quarter and see, is it the same area? Am I feeling like I don't have community? Because that's one part of burnout. Is it that I'm not finding a mission or I'm not feeling like I'm part of it? That's another element. There's many different kinds of fuel to burnout. So if you can see and track that, And if it's the same over time, and it's not something you can control, right? Like, hey, I can't control my coworkers. So then maybe it is time to leave that job, right? So there's different ways to unpack and peel that onion of your burnout story to make sure that you're not just leaping from the pan into the fire and saying, well, it must be the job. I've got to leave the job. And then guess what? People are still burned out in their other jobs. Like you, that, (laughs) that kind of, you know, internal work that you haven't done, if you don't do that internal work, you're just bringing that same cookie cutter protocol to the next job and you're going to be burned out there because you're not correcting maybe your over perfectionistic, high rigid thinking, achieving type mentation. And so that's some of the work you have to do to make sure. And where do we go in terms of that work? Because you mentioned that burnout happens when our expectations don't meet our reality, right? So how do we start to close that gap for our people? Ooh, I love that. So start simply, you know, is even just doing a simple journaling practice highlights a lot of trends and patterns in your own thinking. So really looking at those thought loops you get stuck in. So again, flow, you know, we talked at the top of the hour, flow is the opposite of burnout. Flow is where you are all five senses. You're in it. You know, you're in the zone. It's when you're paused at that three-point line, you're about to sink the shot. You don't hear the crowd. It's it's when you're a kid and your hands are covered in greasy finger paint and you don't even feel the construction paper because you're just so excited, right? We all know how to get into flow, but to us that don't know that it's actually a trainable and acquired capability. We think it happens just willy-nilly, but actually flow cycle has four phases and it starts with struggle. It has to be a little challenging. Like your skills have to be almost equally matched to that challenge. If it's too easy, you won't find flow. And if it's too hard, it's overwhelming. And then you have to get into the release and then deep into flow. And so when you start practicing this and you start to learn, there are ways you can enhance that with gratitude practice, with having, you know, starting off in a good mood, with having clear goals, with being in nature. But then the most important thing is removing the flow disruptors. And there's many, but here's the top that I see is fixed mindset. A lot of us have a fixed mindset, rigid thinking, all or nothing, right? Um, But the worst one I see is time management. I don't have time. I don't have time to journal. I don't have time to play. I don't have time to exercise. So when you mismanage your time in your calendar, it's very difficult to find that flow and to get out of burnout. You have to be honest with yourself and say, if you can wake up five minutes early, you can pause and do one or two sentences of gratitude journaling, right? If you can sit at a stoplight, you can take three deep breaths, right? It's about being mindful. And so I think a lot of that is just a little bit of this, you know, wisping of the cobwebs off our brain of all the things we think we are and and really putting it on its head and saying, okay, let's challenge that and see how I can find time for myself because until you do that, it's very hard to cultivate flow. And it's really like, like you're totally bang on. And 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 we do this a lot with our clients, right? Uh-huh. Is there's the mindset piece, which is sort of the deeper stuff. But then it's also paired with the like logic and the calendars and the scheduling and all these things. And you're totally right. It's like most people, it's not that you're slammed the entire amount of time it's 
really it's learning that you can actually choose and control your own calendar and the things you do. And you can Uh say no to folks that are trying to get in there that it's not pushing you towards your goals. Right, right. It's about honesty with yourself, right? Having self-integrity. A lot of us get caught in the victim mindset, right? That, you know, I am just a victim of my circumstance. There's no control I have. And I get it. I've been in the system. My husband's still in the system. He's a family practice uh, doctor and he's still in it. And it's hard. I mean, there is minimal control these doctors have. But to be honest with yourself and to look deep and go, there is stuff you can still control. Maybe not in your work environment. But certain skills like showing up for yourself when you say, I'm going to go for that walk at noon, or I'm going to go for walk my dog after work. And if you continue to break promises with yourself, that's lowering your perceived self-efficacy, making you feel more like a victim. Like, look, well, I didn't do it again. But like, Mm -hmm. if you just make minor, tiny little goals to show up for yourself when it matters, that boosts this sense of autonomy and boosts it back. And it starts to snowball and you start to feel better. And no, you're not changing your work environment. You might still be burned out at work, but at home, you're learning these skills that start to translate. Like you start to form better communication patterns and have more fortified boundaries. And all these things I teach in the Catalyst Services, because that's really important is to have boundaries that, you know, yes, you can have boundaries that are still loving and you can respect your energy. That's all a boundary is, is what is the optimal recipe for you to show up in the world. It's not controlling someone's behavior. It's saying, oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, this is what I need to make me my optimum self. And that does not fit. Right. So yeah, it's important. How do we gauge that? Gauge boundaries. Yeah. How do we gauge like how much of that buffer space that we need? Right. Like, cause I do feel like this is where high achievers struggle the most because Mm -hmm. high achievers, like you said, are codependents, right? Yes. We're stuck (laughs) in that code. Yep. We're stuck outside of themselves Mm -hmm. to get what they need to feel inside of themselves, right? Right. To be able to sustain. So I feel like this is the sticky wicket for most high achievers. Absolutely. Because we've, up until we realize that we've been gauging our effectiveness in the world, our worth based on external validation and approval. So it's about putting that mirror up to your face. That's really where boundary work starts. And I like to go even deeper. And I encourage my my clients and my practitioners, all my little catalysts out there to start just really doing a lot of somatic work, right? Like, where do you feel that emotion? So we do a lot of feelings wheels, you know, what are you feeling right now? What's the address? I call it the somatic address. Where does that emotion live, right? Because that's where you find the first element of boundary work. We logically always say yes. Oh, yep, I'll do that. I'll show up. You know, and we're trained in healthcare to fake it until you make it for a good cause. You don't want your physician to look petrified and scared when they're looking at your lab work, right? (laughs) You need your physician. So it's cultivated in us to always remain calm, always remain confident, and have this executive presence in an exam room. But guess what? That's also disconnecting us from our own emotions and making us more inhuman. And so what I like to do is train it back into our providers that it's okay to connect back into the emotion. You don't have to be this robot all the time. It's like almost it gets into this autopilot where you're always this robotic person that knows the solution, that fixes everything, that has the answer. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say, you know, wow, I'm feeling prickly. And that could be your first sign that a boundary was crossed, right? And so you just start investigating that. Where are you feeling that? Is it in your stomach? Start to get that fluency of your own body language so you know where to look. Like, ooh, I always get that crick in my neck when I'm stressed. Why Why is that? You know, and looking at those patterns, almost like decoding your own body. Love that. 
<laughs> I want to ask this one. Um, is for those folks, right? Like a lot of what we're talking about are folks that kind of have this sort of like people pleaser tendency, right? Uh-huh. Which is like you're putting someone else up, in a sense above you, right? Now, how do we teach folks like that to set boundaries when it's like a completely foreign behavior and it sometimes it can feel unsafe to their system in order to do draw those lines? Yes. And I want to say a disclaimer as well. Um, therapy is very, very important and needed. And this is not in substitution of any professional therapy. My sister's a doctorate in psychology and has done a lot of trauma work. And trauma is where everything starts. You know, that's the answer to everything. And if you're listening to this and going, oh, come on, I, I had a great childhood. My parents were great. You know, trauma happens because you're human. Everybody has Little trauma. Little T trauma. Yeah, it's little T trauma, complex trauma. And so when when people are struggling in this people-pleasing mode, I ask them, when was the first time you felt that way, right? Like, if you can go back, usually it either is nurtured into them kind of because that's just how their family operated. Like, mom was always available or grandma always came and saved the day and brought your lunch or, you know, whatever it is Mm -hmm. that, you know, and it could be cultural. Maybe you, you know, especially if you're raised as female and you're, you're, you know, in society that, you know, wants you to be that caretaker and nurturer. I can't tell you how many times patients would walk out of my male partner's office in my clinic and come right into mine and go, I need an appointment with you. And I'm like, but you just saw him. And they're like, yeah, but I'm depressed. I I can't talk to him about that. You know? Um, So female physicians have a 400 increased, uh, 400% increased risk of suicide because we are on, we are burdened with this expectation to always be there, you know, always have a smile. And Mm -hmm. so if you feel like, gosh, am I a people pleaser? Chances are if you think you are you probably are right. and um <laughs> and to start looking at that in yourself and reading books i love um Dr. Nedra Tawab has great boundary scripts. She's on Instagram. She's written uh, books on boundaries and her latest book is Drama Free. I love looking at these other psychologists that have really advocated in this space of boundary work because that can be the one thing you can do for yourself right now as a leader, as a practitioner, is just doing boundary work can save that energy because you don't realize that by saying yes to everything, it doesn't make you a better person. It makes you a very lazy person with your time management. That's what I think. Um, when I see someone's Google calendar and they're like, yeah, I'm just so busy. I'm doing all these things. It doesn't make me impressed. It makes me actually feel sad for them. Like, ooh, wow, you know, that you give your calendar link to anybody or you say, yep, I'll do that. And, and that's just not good management. I feel like time is even more important than money. And where I spend my time is really important. So for people pleasers, no matter what industry you're in, really look at time inventory to start. And where are you spending your time and why? You know, why do you feel that need to please that person? You know, um, boundaries are also contagious. So even as a mom of three, as a professional working mom of three, the minute I started doing boundary work years ago and just simply would drop things in conversation with friends in the community that were inviting me to like a mom's tea or like a parent fundraiser. And one night I just said, you know, I did say I would come, but I mismanaged my energy and I didn't predict that I'd be so tired after today. So I'm going to have to decline. Now, normally I would either show up and be resentful and and hate that I was there and be tired 
and not listen to my body. Or I would lie and white lie. Well, you know, something came up. One of my kids got sick. I can't go. Right. That's the mm-hmm. Midwest way. And that's what Midwesterners do. We don't, we don't ever <laughs> speak directly. Canada too. <laughs> right, right. We're very I similar. Mean, hello. And we bring yeah. potlucks, everything, you know, yeah, we always yeah, have yeah. cheese. Of course. So, of right. And so I just started being honest and it's hard because as a people pleaser, you don't like disappointing people. Right. And so that is the exercise, the little muscle that you bring to the gym of people pleasing every day and it gets stronger and stronger. And so I would just start being honest and I would take a deep breath. And I, first I did it over texting because that's easier, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hard to, <laughs> but then I got better at really going in person and coming up with those scripts on the fly. Like, ah, oh, thank you for thinking of me in this wonderful organization you built. I love your fundraisers and I wish I could contribute, but my energy is prioritized on this project right now. So please come around next year, right? Like it comes easy now. But if you're a beginner newbie people pleaser like I was years ago, go ahead and text that out or email it out. Practice it that way and start being honest with other people because when that happens, I can't tell you how many moms heard me say that or read that email thread and they're like, wow, good for you. Because I literally said that (laughs) night, I said, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to do nothing. Like that even was audacious, right? I'm choosing nothing over hanging out with you guys and fundraising for our community. (laughs) And they were like, that was fantastic. So more moms started doing that. They're like, yeah, you know, I mismanaged my time too. And I need to be better at that. And I'm not going to come tonight. You know, so it's a cascade of good, better communication all around. I love this tip around taking a little psychological distance, right? Because like, it definitely helps to relieve some of that social pressure. (laughs) With the training wheels on. Yes, yes. Yeah. Totally. I, I, I love feel it. like the end of that story was all the moms came over and just watched Netflix or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. I'll write that in my next book. Maybe yeah, we'll yeah. have a little creative liberty. Yes. I'm curious what we do with that time once we actually learn how to assert these healthy boundaries, right? Like I think one of the biggest things that helped me when I was learning how to manage my burnout as an impact-driven service worker, right, was um, this notion of recovery, especially active recovery. I mean, I got this as a pro athlete, but what the heck? Why wasn't I putting two and two together that I probably needed some of this? In my professional realm, too, yes. right? So let's oh. just talk talk a yes. little bit about this whole concept of recovery because this is another one that high achievers really struggle yes. with. I love that you mentioned this because that's the fourth phase of the flow cycle that I skipped over in a second ago is the four phases of the flow cycle. The last phase is most often overlooked, which is recovery. Yes. And what we Preach think on of- it. Yes. Yeah. We think like, <laughs> look at, look at all these artists and musicians. They must just go, go, go with their flow. Or I must have to rent a cabin in the woods to write my novel. No, like, you know, flow is a cycle and it keeps going, but recovery is a very important piece because that's truly unplugging. Your brain does not synthesize and make new neuroplastic connections unless you give it space. Mm-hmm. Like you need space in order for your brain to make those connections, bring those alpha brainwaves forward that are creative, that gives you that aha, like connection and go, wait a second, that's a great idea. And that's what would happen on my runs or my walks. And those are active recovery, but you can have other types of recovery that I you know, recommend like complete silence, breath work, meditation, if it feels comfortable in your body. Again, being trauma-informed, some people do not feel comfortable closing their eyes and breathing. So it can be walking meditation. It can be washing the dishes without a podcast. I mean, that can be recovery, right? It could be just playing with your senses in a different way that is like interesting to you. Um, Doodling passively in a coloring book, you know, just like 
playing around. This recovery is so important because it's non-directed time. It's non-thinking time. And your brain is always a thinking organ. It's like your pancreas secreting insulin. Your brain's never going to stop thinking. So don't worry that your brain's going to turn off. You know, it's like actually going to come up with better material because if you're recovering, you're letting your brain kind of catch a breath and say, okay, what else can I give you? Love it. Yeah. And I just think like for me, the sustainability part is why that is so freaking requisite, right? Because like for us, you you know from working with this crowd of people um yeah brick walls and glass ceiling so for me i think this whole notion of recovery is so important because it is how we give ourselves what we need as human beings not human doings yes and and scheduling that if it doesn't make it on your calendar it didn't happen so i put on there in fact one of my core values in my business that i've created with my staff is is we plan for play. So in their onboarding and in their HR documentation, we say every month you're allowed to plan for two play days, like unplugged. Like you aren't here. I can't see you. I can't reach you. But you're planning for this proactively so that you have that built in your calendar. Because if you expect it to fill it in in the gaps, oh, I'll see how my day goes or I'll see how my week goes and I'll see if I can get it at the end. No, it won't happen. You're always going to fill it up with stuff. There's always dirty dishes. There's always laundry to fold. Um, And so I like to plan, you know, for me, it's Thursday mornings until noon. I don't do anything. I don't have any appointments. And you plan for that ahead of time to be proactive. What do you, what do you do on your play days? Oh, so many things. Either I'm pelotoning, which is fun. That's how I play. I used to be a runner. Um, I can't anymore from a back injury. So I'm exploring other options, like learning how to swim more effectively. I'm a, I'm a swimmer, but I'm not a good swimmer. So I'm looking at different ways. You know, I'll paint. Sometimes I'll just paint, um, just play with paint. And um, I put a lot of that fun creation on my Instagram, you know, reels, just because I'm not a trained artist, but I like to play. Um and then, yeah, sometimes I write, sometimes I walk the dog. I mean, I, I don't plan what I put in that space, but it's just more of a nice blank canvas for me to play with. And sometimes I go to my hair cutting appointments for my <laughs> lovely color, you know. I was going to say, that's definitely play what's happening up here. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could leave our audience of leaders with any final piece of advice, what would it be? Ooh. My final piece of advice would be to say that you have this creative muse inside you. Whether you say you're creative or not, most people get stuck on that word. They're like, oh, no, no, I'm an athlete or I'm a CEO or I'm a mathematician, I'm an accountant, whatever. No, but you're also creative because the version, the definition of creativity is simply something novel and meaningful. That means that you can show up as yourself and the words coming out of your mouth is creative because only you can say it in that signature way. The clothes you wear, um, the habits you keep, the thoughts you think, you know, so exploring this creative muse and understanding it's always there. It's sitting there in the background waiting for you. And so if you think about that, go back to when you were 10 or eight. What did you love to do? What could you be found doing on a Saturday morning? Would you be building Legos? Would you be exploring the forest and and building a treehouse? Would you be playing with dolls in a dollhouse? There is an adult equivalent play activity. And so start looking at your creative muse inside as your friend just waiting for you to start having fun again and play. Because when you start making that a priority and practicing creativity, it's literally like a sixth vital sign that you can execute every day. And it, it helps bring you back into well-being and health. Oh, I love this. And we have to ask you the big question. Oh, yeah. 
What do you want your legacy to be? That is my legacy is to create a six vital sign where every office visit, a physician will ask, what lights you up? What's your hobby? How do you play? Because 20 years ago, we added a fifth vital sign of pain, which makes no sense, right? (laughs) Because vital signs are supposed to keep you alive. They're like temperature, pulse, respiratory, right? They're very Signs of vitality. (laughs) Yes, it tells you how alive you are. And then we added pain, which confused doctors, myself included. And so now we're measuring, well, where does it hurt? And we're concentrating on this negativity in your exam room. And so no wonder 20 years later, after introducing the fifth vital sign of pain, we've got opioid overdoses. We've got chronic mental illness. We've been concentrating on, okay, how bad do you feel? And then secondly, we make physicians responsible to take that away. That's that life is painful. Like to be honest, life is always going to have pain. Life is going to have burnout. Life is going to be hard. So why don't we bookend this with a sixth vital sign? And we ask, what lights you up? What's your passion? How do you play? And we plant those seeds in our minds of, you know, I haven't played in a while. I should start doing that. And maybe in 20 years, we'll have a renaissance of healers, physicians that are more in touch with their creativity and play and patients that are empowered, and they know how to help them have more well-being and vitality. I love that. Uh, that <laughs> that's, definitely, that's definitely been a journey for me. So I'll just say that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so obviously for folks out there so if you want to connect with laura i dropped her linkedin in the podcast notes you can also go to drlaurasollier.com that's also in the podcast notes and you wherever you're listening to the llp show you Woo-hoo. can search for the catalyst podcast and subscribe for her show there laura is there anywhere else you want folks to find you Well, if you're a physician listening and you need the most fun and creative 10 hours of CME, continuing medical education credit, um, I do have an online CME course that goes through my whole method of acquiring flow. Um, It's called the Catalyst Reclamation because I believe we need to reclaim that catalyst of creativity. It's all on my website, Catalyst Reclamation. I'd love for you to try it out, have fun, and really meet that inner creative muse that's waiting for you. I'll just say it sounds like a lot more fun than, than standard CME credits. Yeah. <laughs> Function, statistics, analysis. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. It's a lot more fun. Yeah. A lot more fun. Obviously, for us, for any leadership development, one on one leadership mindset coaching, and more, head on over to elitehighperformance.com and hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project show wherever you're listening to it now and share with any professionals, leaders. In your doctors, doctors, especially lawyers. our doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah our, in, our high achievers. That's right. In your, in your life now, obviously, Susan, what do, you want your, what do you want to leave our folks with today? I love this six vital sign thing. I have to ask permission from Laura to borrow that. I want to start asking that when my clients walk through the door. What's lighting you up today? Where did you go and find your play? I love this. Great. And I might I might have to borrow it for me if that's okay. <laughs> have fun. Have fun. I love it. It's it's amazing, right? And and I think this is it's hard. And and I think we sort of are taught some point when we're children that like play is just for kids and once you're an adult you got to put your you know big boy and big girl pants on and you got to be professional and right and often 
where I help folks is is when they're feeling either the boundaries or the play, it's connecting to those parts of us that have that inner wisdom of, you know, this doesn't feel right. I'd rather do this. Or I do mm-hmm. want to play today. And really stripping away the protection that makes us put on a mask to go to work. Mm-hmm. And so for folks out there, get out there, go go hang out at a playground. <laughs> yeah. Climb a tree. If you're an adult Dream, create, inspire, friends. <laughs> Um, thank you very much. Love that. Laura, yeah. Laura, yeah, thank you so you. much for joining us. This was fun. So thank much you. fun. Everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>